0: it's 2019 now i know we're like 21 days into it but it is a new year same cycling with watts podcast thank you for joining me today i am your host jared watts and this is a podcast all about cycling we dive straight into pro news hot tech in the world maintenance tips training tips whatever i want to talk about when it comes to cycling and that's what this podcast is all about And hopefully I will inspire you to get out on your bike more by bringing you all of this amazing cycling news. And we finally have some racing to talk about. So the majority of this podcast is going to cover the Tour Down Under that just wrapped up in Australia. Let's get right into it. So the two are down under six stages long, plus a criterium to kick off all of the festivities. It is the first big World Tour race every single season. Actually, not every season. It's definitely a newer race, but it's gained a ton of momentum. ton of stars show up for it. This year, we had the likes of Richie Porte, Elia Viviani, Peter Sagan, Caleb Ewan and a handful of a bunch of other big-name riders. And it was so, so, so awesome to see racing again as I'm sitting in Minnesota in frigid cold temperatures. I think today it was negative 5 degrees Fahrenheit all day. That is freezing cold, but it's been nice to warm up, watch the hot 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 summer that is in Australia right now and see the best of the best duking it out also the tour down under brings a load of new tech new kits new bits and pieces on bikes and it's just beautiful to see it all come together see it out in the daylight up until this point we've only seen stylized photo shoots of new jerseys we've seen them at training camp and now we get to see them out racing what that looks in the sunlight what it looks like after they sweat in it what it looks like in the bunch and i'm super excited because i love kits and i love all the brand new colors and then all the little bits and pieces of tech that came out of the tour down under specialized for the past couple years has definitely brought some things to the table when it comes to the tour down under and they did just that this year But I'm going to save all of that juicy, juicy goodness till the tech portion, and I'll get into my favorite kits, my favorite bikes, the ones that I didn't like, and all the new like, cool pieces of tech. We'll get into that after we wrap up all of the racing. So the Tour Down Under kicked off with the Tour Down Under Classic, and that is a criterium Bunch of fans come out and watch it. It's a fast paced event. It is fun to watch. And who won the very first? Technically, it's not like an official event. So it's not like the first win of the season, but you get the picture. It's the first win of the season. So Caleb Ewan in his new team, Lotto Sudal, takes it, takes the stage win. And that was exciting, because it was racing back on TV, and I loved it. Then two days later, we kick off stage one of the Tour Down Under. And that was a 129-kilometer race from North Adelaide to Port Adelaide. And that was won by the Italian road champion, Elia Viviani. Elia Viviani won in a bunch sprint finish. It looked like Max Walshide of Sunweb, was going to take it, because he got an early lead in that sprint, he was out, but, what did Viviani do, came up that left side, closed in nicely, and won it, the guy who won the most stage races last year, won the first official race of 2019, and he looked dominant, I mean, he he did well, throughout the entire race, this was the only stage that he won, but he had a couple close chances throughout it, but, it really spoke to how dominant he was last year to come out with the very first win of 2019. He's sporting those Italian national champion colors, and he just did it in, in style. And he kind of did it for a new team. De Kunic, quick step. That is a name that is probably going to be evolving as the year goes on. So it's like every time I hear it, it is pronounced differently. I thought at first it was Desayunic, now it's Desayunic, so we're going to go with Desayunic until somebody else says it differently or until we are corrected. So, Viviani wins stage one, goes into the overall leader's jersey. Like I said, wins in a bunch sprint. And something to point out, I'll be talking about Peter Sagan a lot because I thought he did a really, really good job in this race overall. And he was like in the top 10 of every stage. It was absolutely incredible. So, two are down under classic. That was the criterium. Peter Sagan was second to Caleb Ewan. Stage one of the race, he was eighth in a bunch sprint. So, that means he was, you know, a couple meters behind Elia Viviani. He could have been a couple bike lengths behind and took eighth. So, now we will keep... Moving forward, and that is a hint, maybe a telling sign, that I'll be talking about Peter Sagan a little more down the road in this race. So we come up to stage two. That is a 122-kilometer race from Norwood to Anagastin, and that was won by a brand-new team. We have a lot of brand-new teams coming up in this, and that's of course, should happen at the beginning of the season. But Patrick Bevan of Team CCC, Beautiful kit, by the way. I really do like that nice touch of, I don't know if it's orange or red. I don't know if there's a final verdict. I'm partially colorblind, and I think it's kind of reddish, but it's also kind of orangish. I think that's another thing that might be evolving over the year. Depends on what kind of climate they're in, sunlight. But Patrick Bevan wins stage two with his new team, C, C, C. So there was a crash with only a couple hundred meters left that basically took out the entire peloton. There was only like a handful of guys, maybe 15, 20 that were left in the group. So everybody started looking at each other because basically it was going to come down to a sprint finish. So some guys who maybe wouldn't have been in the contention for a stage win because they are not sprinters were like, Oh my gosh, I think I can win this, this stage. And that's huge. I mean, you only get so many opportunities if you're not a sprinter to win a sprint stage. And then if you're not a pure climber, it's hard to win those climbing stages, so a lot of guys were like, yes, I'm going to do this. Unfortunately for some of those guys who thought that they might win it, there was still a couple of great sprinters left in that bunch, such as Caleb Ewan and Peter Sagan. So it looked like Caleb Ewan was going to take the win just because he was placed right. He was placed in that second wheel behind Patrick Bevan, but Patrick Bevan was able to keep that first wheel and take the stage win. And ultimately, he went into the race leader's jersey, and he would hold that race leader's jersey for a couple of stages. So Patrick Bevan of Team CCC was that stage two winner. But again, I want to mention <clears throat> Peter Sagan because he took third. Again, he was in that top bunch. So Criterium, second place, stage one, eighth place, stage two, third place. He is just always in the mix. It is absolutely incredible. And then we move on to stage three, which was 146 kilometers from Lobethal to Urodela, Urodela. I don't know why I had kind of a Spanish accent on that one, because we're in Australia, so I definitely butchered that one. We can mark that up as the first butcher of 2019. There you go, first butcher of 2019. So stage three, though, who wins it? Peter Sagan. I mean, it is incredible how he gives himself an opportunity to win so many stages and so many races. I mean, you wonder why this guy has been so dominant. It's incredible. And I got the chance to read his book back in December. I finished that up called My World. Super, super easy read. If you're looking to get caught up on Peter Sagan's life, it's a, it's a quick read. But I highly, highly recommend it as it just gives you an inside look into his life and how he views cycling. Kind of at the end of the day, it's like I just need to have fun. I mean, life is short. I need to have fun. I'm going to have fun on a bike. I'm going to do it my way, not in a pretentious pretentious way. Just I'm going to do it my way because I want to have fun. And so I, I think that joy that he has in his personal life really translates well onto the bike. And sometimes when you see guys with lackadaisical attitudes, not saying that Sagan has it, but you would say someone who's all about fun, kind of has that lackadaisical attitude, doesn't translate into winning. Sagan is really serious about winning, but he's going to have fun while doing it. And it's just incredible how he can have that attitude, but also has the success and the stage wins to do that. So hats off to him. I mean, incredible. Like I said, he gives himself a chance to win basically every single time he is on the bike. So stage three, he wins. Daryl Impey took off early in that stage with Luis Leon Sanchez. But Sagan was right behind them and Sagan overtook Daryl Impey. So basically it came down to Sagan and Luis Leon Sanchez and Sagan had to throw his bike in order to win across the line and doesn't matter if you win by 4 miles or 2 inches. You win the stage. You were the better rider that day. Hats off to Sagan for winning stage three. 2019, I am definitely going to be a bigger fan of Peter Sagan. I already was a massive fan, but I'm like even bigger now. I think it's crazy what he's doing. And yes, we still do have Sagan Watch in this show. That did not change because it is a new year. Sagan Watch will be coming up. Stay tuned for that. So now we move on to stage four, 129 kilometer stage from Campbelltown, sorry, from Unley to Campbelltown, and Daryl Empey of Mitchelton Scott won stage four. Now, Mitchelton Scott is a team out of Australia, so this is a, I would say, a, a pretty big race for them, kind of on home turf. Not that they threw out all of their big guns, but Daryl Impey was the winner of the 2018 Tour Down Under. He won Stage Four. Maybe he wins this year. We'll find out in about four minutes when I get to the final podium. I don't know if you've been keeping track. Maybe you already know that answer. And uh, the four next four minutes will not be a surprise to you. But let's strap in those seatbelts and see if Daryl Impey does win this race. He does win Stage Four, though. After a close call the day before, the South African national champ came over the last time to beat out Patrick Bevan, who was the race leader. So Daryl Impey barely loses on stage three. Stage four, there's a climb towards the end of the race. He comes over top of that, beats the race leader, Patrick Bevan, and... Luis Leon Sanchez for the stage victory. So he kind of gets to take another jab at Sanchez and uh, gets that stage win. Now, I've been hyping up Peter Sagan. This was more of a climbing stage. And a lot of the GC riders were basically looking to win this stage. So stage four, we had Daryl Impey win it. Patrick Revan, of course, took second. Luis Leon Sh- Sanchez of Astana took third. Some other big names in there. We had George Bennett at 6. Michael Woods of EF Education first. He was in 8th. Dylan Van Ball, 10th of Team Sky. Wout Pools of Sky at 14. Richie Port down in 18th. Rohan Dennis in 20th. So this was kind of the stage where GC riders were starting to come out. Stage five, though, was going to be another sprint day. That was a 149-kilometer race from Glenleg to Stratholbein. Strothelbin. Strothelbin, There we go. Boom. Strothelbin. I knew it was going to come around with that. Now, if you think I don't prepare for these podcasts because I butcher names, I do prepare for these podcasts, and I do say these names out loud, but I take a couple-hour break in between, in between like when I do all of my research for it and practice stuff. And I take a couple hour break so I can kind of clear my mind, make sure I get ready for the podcast. So even though I I was practicing all of these names today and my wife was like, can you just shut up because you're just babbling random things out loud, I still find a way to butcher them. So I love that. And now we're going to come up on a fun name, actually not that hard, but who won stage five? Jasper Philipson of UAE Emirates. That was a lot easier name than what I was hyping that up to be, but Jasper Philipson won that 149-kilometer Stage 5. And unfortunately, there was another crash in Stage 5, and that took down Patrick Bevin, who was the race leader at that time. He took a heavy spill with about 10 kilometers left, but he got back up on that bike, and that was a heavy crash. I was really surprised to see him get back up and finish it. Basically, at the end of it, he was like, I have the jersey. Why was I going to give that up? And kind of over and over, we see this in pro cycling that you bestow a jersey on somebody and just magical things happen. Depending on the race, too, more magical things tend to happen. I mean, you put the yellow jersey on somebody the tour de France and you'll see somebody start running up a mountain without a bike. (laughs) Chris Froome, that was great. But jokes aside, people do crazy things and magical things when they're wearing the race leader's jersey. So... He got up back onto the bike, Patrick Bevan, finished the stage. People thought he wasn't going to start stage six because the crash looked so bad. He ended up doing it. I think he had to fight through a lot of pain, but I'm glad also that he was able to ride because that would suck if he you know, got out of the race because of those injuries. And it, definitely to some, some extent, because of that crash, he did not win the overall, and that sucks as well. But... It's part of bike racing. He was at least able to get back up on the bike the next day, which doesn't happen all the time. So that was really good to see. But it was Jasper Phillipson who took the stage win. And it looked like Caleb Ewan, Caleb Ewan was heavy in this race as well, looked like he was going to be the winner because he did cross the line first. This was a, this was a crazy stage, by the way. Like, this, this really was a crazy stage, but it really wasn't that crazy until, like, the last 15 minutes. So, it looked like Caleb Ewan was going to be the winner because he crossed the line first. That's who you expect to be the winner. Except he headbutted Jasper Phillipson, at least that's what the race directors thought, and demoted him. He he didn't win. So, Jasper Phillipson, who took second, won the race. So, we had a massive crash and then ended the race... With Caleb Ewan winning and then not winning because of a head vet It was nuts. It was crazy. Great to see this drama. I love it this early on in the season that we are seeing this kind of drama. Not that it's like great drama. People are headbutting and there's crashes. But it's still fun to watch. And I'm not in pain after watching those things. Unlike the guys who had to go through it. So there's positives and minuses to that. But... Hey, Peter Sagan took second. Took third originally because Caleb Ewan took first. But Peter Sagan showing up again, taking second. Just unreal. We would not see him as much in stage six because, well, that is the queen stage. There's a lot of climbing in that stage. And Peter Sagan is not a climber. He is amazing, but he is not a climber. So, stage six, queen stage from McLaren Vale. To Walunga Hill. You know who has dominated this hill? Richie Port. Coming into today, he had won it five times. Yes, five times. Was he going to win on stage six? I will give you a hint. That answer is yes. He tends to dominate on Wollonga Hill. But it was tough. I mean, he had to fight in order to win. So Port attacked. Several times on the final ascent, one attack was to catch back up to Walt Poles, who I think had a strong ride. Talk about him a little bit later, and Daryl Impey was looking at catching Reggie Port to win the stage, but he ultimately did not. Reggie Port stayed ahead and won stage six. For the 6th time in his career. But that would not get him the overall race lead. Patrick Bevan was the, the GC leader at the time. Definitely affected by his crash. He would be dropped. Would be out of contention in stage 6. But it was Daryl Impey. I think you guys... Knew that it was going to be Daryl Impey, because I pretty heavily said that after stage four. But I thought I'd leave you in some kind of suspense. I mean, what would great podcasting be without a touch, nay, a dash of suspense? So it was Daryl Impey. He is back-to-back, two-or-down-under back to winner. And that was good for his uh his squad, Mitchelton Scott. I think Mitchelton Scott made a really big leap last year, especially having a Vualta winner and really doing a lot of flashy things and then to win the first stage race of the year. I think that's a really positive sign and I'm excited to see what they have in store for 2019. I'd love to see them compete again at the Grand Tours because they were kind of a small team to start with. I mean, they're from Australia, the only Australian team right now. So it's exciting they get to win on their home turf. So good for them, now what were the final classifications? We had Daryl Impey, number one South African national champ, riding for Mitchelton Scott. We had Richie Porte on his new team, Trek Segafredo, the Australian. He took second. And we had Walt Poles from the Netherlands and of Team Sky taking third place. And over in the points classification... We have Patrick Bevan of CCC taking first. Danny Van Poppel, Netherlands, of Team Jumbo-Visma, nice yellow jerseys. The Celeste Green of their Bianchis, very nice, taking second. And we had Jaboy, Peter Sagan, of Slovakia, the Slovakian national champion of Bor Hansgraw, taking third place. And it is kind of weird to not see the rainbow bands around Sagan. He's still basically wearing the same jersey because it's red white bands around his chest now of the Slovakian national flag. He's still got the rainbow bands around his biceps. But overall, it was a fun race to watch. I mean, like I said, it was great to just see it was great to see racing again and especially in a place that was really hot while I was really cold. I enjoyed watching that. Some of the takeaways from the race, we'll get into the tech and kit stuff, which I think was the bigger takeaway for me, but for the racing season coming up, Daryl Impey, second year in a row, just kind of showing the dominance of Mitchelton Scott. He's not even their lead rider, wins the first tour of the year. Now, this isn't a extremely hard race. I mean, there was really only two, you know, climbing stages, a lot of bunch sprint finishes. So it's not like this is a massive test for what is coming down the road, but they still won a race. That was really good for that squad. So I'm excited to see what they have in store for 2019 with those Yates twins, especially. Wow, Poles taking second place, third place, taking third place. That's really cool to see. I like that Team Sky is giving him the opportunity to be a GC rider. He has been such a loyal domestique for that team, especially Chris Froome. And now he gets the chance to be a GC rider at some of these smaller tours. I mean, will we see him be a GC rider in the future at uh, the big tours? I don't think so because they still have Chris Froome and, you know, last year's. Tour de France winner, Garrett Thomas. So I don't think Wild Poles will be getting that shot, but I do like that, that they're rewarding him, and he gets to be GC at some of these smaller races. So I thought that was really cool to see. Definitely took that away. And Richie Port taking second. I know he was aiming to win this race. It's only six stages long, so it's not... I mean, a couple a couple little things here and there can take away that stage race, or that, that stage overall win I should say and so it's not disappointing that he took second but this is definitely a redemption season for Richie Port as he moves to that new team in Trek Segafredo I think he really needs to to do something something big here I mean he's had some unfortunate crashes in the tour as of the past couple years and I'd really like to see a resurgence of Richie Port. Can he stay healthy, though? That's really the biggest question. Does he have it in him to win a 21-day stage race? I mean, time will tell, but this is a really big redemption season for him. Taking second place I don't think is a failure whatsoever. I think it is a good sign. If he were taking first place, definitely would have been a better sign, but second place still very strong. Don't get me wrong. I could never come anywhere close to that. Definitely a redemption season for Richie Port. And to wrap up the Tour Down Under, Matt Heyman of Mitchelton Scott. He has been in the Peloton for a very long time. He calls it quits after the Tour Down Under. And kind of crazy that he retired after the Tour Down Under. Now, this was very much planned. He was going to do this. But he did three extra months of training in order to do a one-week stage race now he got to do it on his home turf so he had a a massive amount of fans out cheering him on especially on stage six the queen stage he was getting a lot a lot a lot of cheers and he was getting a ton of love from his fellow riders which is to be expected because he was very well liked in the peloton at least from what i could see as an outside fan looked like he was well respected and well received in the peloton and his, his kind of biggest claim to fame was he was the 2016 Perry Roubaix winner, which he had a crash earlier on and he couldn't train outside. So what did he do? He trained on Zwift for that race. It was a kind of a cool story, but that was his biggest win. Otherwise he has been a loyal domestique for the Mitchelton Scott, the Orica, the green edge the past couple years, that Australian squad, he has been a loyal person, loyal rider for that team. And he's going to continue to be with Middleton Scott in kind of a back room, back office, some kind of role like that. I'm not sure exactly the specifics of his role, but he's going to be with the team and he's going to be helping out still. So he wants to stay connected to cycling, wants to be in the sport because like I said, he just trained an extra three months for a one-week race, and he said he wouldn't have it any other way. So that's awesome to see. Thank you, Matt Heyman, for what you've done in cycling. So that wraps up the race news portion. And as usual, to transition into the tech portion of the show, we're going to hit you with Sagan Watch. Enjoy it. this is your first time. So basically, Sagan Watch just looks at Peter Sagan, whether it's a new mustache, which we had a new mustache at the Tour Down Under. It was beautiful. It was glorious. It's actually not the purpose of this, but Sagan Watch, we look at new hairstyles, new kits, new clothes, poppin' wheelies, shirt off, Instagram posts, new tattoos. We just look at Peter Sagan and whatever he is doing, and we give it a dedicated segment. So... Since we are kind of blurring the lines of tech and race news, Peter Sagan rode an aluminum bike. Yes, there was a couple of aluminum bikes in the Pro Peloton during the Tour Down Under Classic. There was even tubeless tires. Can you believe this? Peter Sagan rode an aluminum bike with tubeless tires in a Pro Race. Your mind is blown My mind was blown. The cycling world was going crazy, which I don't know why because it's not that crazy. It's really cool to see that a pro rider can ride an aluminum bike and take second in a criterium and show the world that you just don't always need a carbon bike in order to be a super fast rider. So I loved it. He was riding the aluminum specialized lay sprint with tubeless disc wheels tubeless disc wheels aluminum tubeless and disc three crazy things that you would not have seen in the peloton two three years ago and he took second place so i thought that was really cool also the alay sprint is an awesome bike i've not ridden it but it just looks freaking sweet they have some really cool colorways of it it's a cheaper bike it is a great 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 option if you are racing crits if you are racing if you're an amateur racer if you don't have that kind of money to go spend on the super expensive aero bikes the LA sprint is perfectly awesome because most of us are not riding amateur races where we're climbing a ton of feet and you just need the aero advantage and then use your body to generate all that power and so the specialized LA sprint is an awesome option and Peter Sagan showed it that he can still take second in a race when he is using an aluminum frame so that is the end of Sagon watch we're going to end it with sirens again so i've been teasing it out that the kits the tech the new stuff that is on the market was my favorite part of the tour down under so we're going to start with kits first what were my favorites what didn't i like and really the only new kit that we saw that didn't previously launch was EF Education First, which is done by Rafa. If you know me from Pasho's, I love Rafa. So, of course, I loved their jersey. And I'll get into that. But they launched it basically at the Criterium. And they did this whole marketing thing. I was super amped to see it. Now, I was amped because I love Rafa. But they really played it out well. I mean, that was a great marketing move by, by them to, like, make it this big secret, there was all this mystery behind it, there was a couple races for the Australian National Championships and the New Zealand National Championships, and those riders wore blackout kits, so they had like, you know, two kits almost, and it was this mysterious, like, ooh, they got a black kit, what's coming down the road, is it going to be flashy, is it going to be boring, what's it going to be, and they really teased it out well, and then they launched, and it looked amazing, so I'll get into that. So, number three, favorite kit. I think this kit has been getting a little bit of hit, a little bit of hit, a little bit of uh, heat because it didn't change from last year, but I think it changed just enough from last year, and I think it looks super, super classy, and that is Dimension Data. Now, they moved over, got new sponsors, new bikes, all that stuff, so their kits now are made by ASOS. And ASOS has a great job of doing almost like a matte finish on jerseys. And so it's the same jersey with kind of the green triangle or V shape right by like your, where your rib cage starts and up on your chest. It's, uh, it's white, white dim- with dimension data on there. Down the sleeves, it's white. It says BMC now. But I just think it's a super classy looking kit. And it's the the white cuts off nice and clean with the, that, that light green, lime green color covering up that midsection and turns into the black shorts. But it's almost this matte-like finish on the jersey and the kit. And I really, really, really dig it. I think it is a great kit that would look good out on the road. I mean, a lot of pro kits... I don't think would look good out on a club ride or, you know, out on an Instagram photo shoot or stuff like that. I I tend to go for like Attacker, Rafa, We Outdoors, you know, some of these brands that can do some real crazy stuff. But I really like the classy feel of Dimension Data. Like I said, a couple other news sources that I follow haven't really given this jersey a lot of praise because it's the exact same thing as last year. And it is basically the same jersey, but I think just with the right touches, they really class it up. So hats off to Assos or whoever designed it. I, I assume Assos had a heavy hand in how that was going to look. And I just think it looks super classy. If you want to see what this looks like, go check out website cyclingwithwatts.com. we will have a, pictures of all the things that I'm talking about here so you can really see how that looks. Like I said, cyclingwithwatts.com. Number two... Again, I'm going to classy, even though I usually, I like Rafa for its classiness. I do like a nice classy look, but I also like some of the crazy wild things. As long as it's done in a nice tasteful way, I like it. But another classy look is Trek Segafredo. I did a piece on this when it first came out and I talked about how I really did like it. The women's kit as well is super freaking sweet. And that is more, I'd say more wild than the men's jersey has some nice classy finishes to it, but definitely a little bit more wild. And I really like the way they incorporated the reds, the blacks. They kept it traditional, but they did enough with it to really make it stand out. And I really like the look of it, especially outdoors, seeing Richie Port win on Walunga Hill in this new jersey. I just think it looks really, 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 really nice. And I really like what they did. So go check that out, cyclingwithwatts.com. And number one, as you can probably guess, is Rafa. (laughs) They are back in the Peloton. I love it. This kit dropped, and I almost spent $500 on this this kit. Like, two minutes after it dropped, I almost spent $500. I was going to have to come home, tell my wife why I needed this kit, but I talked myself down off of the ledge. I didn't buy it. I kind of had this weird rule where I don't like it when people wear team kits out on the road, because you're not a part of that team even though that sounds really weird being an American and like I every time I watch the Minnesota Vikings play football I'm wearing their jersey when I go to Minnesota Twins baseball games I'm wearing their jersey it's, it's kind of a different thing I feel like for cycling there's almost this like you need to earn that jersey in order to wear it now I'm not going to shame anybody for wearing it because it's your own personal thing it's just kind of my own unwritten rule and I say that even my even after like my very first pair of bib cycling shorts, I can't believe I did this, so it's hard for me to admit this, but I bought a knockoff Team Sky jersey four or five years ago off of Amazon or eBay, and I loved that kit. It said Rafa, on it, it really wasn't Rafa. I didn't know. I, I didn't know. That's what I'm going to play that card. I really didn't know that it was a fake kit. I didn't know what bibs were. I didn't know all of this stuff. And now like looking back on that, I can't believe I wore a knockoff kit. I can't even imagine how bad that chamois was. And that I was wearing a Team Sky kit because I didn't earn that. I'm not on that team. Now I will maybe not shame you, but I do not like wearing world championship bands. That is reserved for one rider in the world. And so I do I do have a problem with people wearing that. Like that is that is one thing that nobody else gets to wear. That's one person gets to wear that out on the road. If you want to show your support for a team, go ahead, wear their kit. I really think EF Education First did this well because they have a fan kit that's different from what the guys wear. It's actually their training kit. And that I might pick up or their blackout kit haven't decided yet. I'm definitely a bigger fan of EF Education first this year because of the Rafa thing. And they're just kind of disrupting pro cycling to a certain extent. They're going to be doing some different events this year with the Dirty Kanza and the Taiwan KOM Challenge and a couple of things like that. And I think their kit and their bike go hand in hand in disrupting the disrupting kind of the kind of the culture. And this is definitely a kit Like I said, I just talked about my unwritten rule. This is a sweet kit. I want to wear this kit. If I have an extra $500 laying around, I might break that rule and buy this kit. Because it just has this glorious, glorious pink, navy blue swirl and flow. It's not tie-dye. It's like a painting. But it's mostly pink up top with their sponsors. You can still see their sponsor as well, but it's not overbearing with their sponsors. It blends in very nice. So kind of pink on the top, navy blue on the bottom, flowing into navy blue bibs uh, around the legs. But uh, that pink just stands out so nice. And then they got pink lids up top. I wonder if they'll be switching out to some white lids or navy blue lids as well as that team has been known to have a couple different colors of helmets, depending on what jerseys they're wearing or you know, what they're feeling for that certain race. But I love, love EF Education First new Rafa kits. I think they stand out super, super nice. Now, what didn't I like? I had three on the list of favorite kits. I have five on least favorite kits. And overall, I think this year has a lot of great kits. So there's a lot of kits that I didn't mention. But there's also a handful that I really don't like. Now these are not in any particular order. It's just I don't like them and I put them down on paper. So first, Groupama FTJ. Boring. Same thing as last year with a little bit different mix. They got some red and blue sleeves, kind of this white bottom with blue or white midsection with blue shorts. It's just it's super boring to me. It looks old. It looks like something straight out of the 90s. Actually Cofidis, which was not in this race. Their jersey looks straight out of the 90s. Makes me want to gag and throw up. I hate that jersey. That's probably my least favorite jersey. Haven't seen it in daylight yet. Haven't seen it in a race, so I guess I can't judge it totally. But do not like that jersey. So, FDJ, not a fan. Bahrain Merida, kind of like their jersey last year. They updated a, a little bit with a navy blue stripe going down basically from the rider's right peck down to their waist. But for the most part, it's just kind of a blah jersey to me. Not a real big fan of it. Doesn't do much for me. Don't love the combination of their kind of cardinal red, navy, blue. They do have McLaren as a sponsorship. That's really cool. I think that's kind of a cool brand name, especially with like Formula One and now moving over to cycling. But their jerseys just kind of blah to me. Don't really like it. Lotto Sudal again, this is kind of like a 90s jersey. It's got this weird like Microsoft XP or Microsoft Windows 96 cube thing going on at the bottom right of the jersey, like coming up out of their stomach, spewing onto their chest. That sounded super sexual. Did not mean for it to go that way, but it is like Windows 96 just blowing up on their stomach. So not a fan of that jersey. Got a lot of white in it too, which not that white is bad. It just this looks old and boring, and don't like that. And then UAE Team Emirates, a lot of white on their jersey too. Kind of a new revamp of this year. I just pray that they do not come back with that zipperless jersey that they wore in the Tour de France last year. That was like just wearing a base layer. That looked hideous. So UAE Team Emirates, just kind of this white blah jersey again all of these are just kind of blah they do have a lot of white in them maybe I have something against white jerseys I don't at least I don't think I do and then this probably is my least favorite jersey in the peloton and I've never liked the like light light blue of Katusha alpecin they've kind of, they've tried to weave it into their their kits and I've never really liked it I, I just why don't you go white this year though they went all out and they have a light blue top with red bottoms. And that light blue top just looks gross. Now, maybe they did it to look like a bottle of shampoo. That's right when I saw it, I was like, y- you look like human shampoo bottles. But Alpacen is a shampoo brand. So maybe they were going with that. But I just think it is absolutely hideous. Like I said, I, I looked at when the team presentation came out. I was like, you got 14 or however many riders there were, 14 shampoo bottles standing on stage right now wearing cycling shoes. Like Marcel Kittel used to be called the bad boy of cycling, and now he's a shampoo bottle. Disgusting. <laughs> Absolutely disgusting. If I sound dramatic, it's because I am. And I really hate that jersey. So the rest of them were block Tusha Elbison. It just looks like a shampoo bottle. Not a fan. And since we're on least favorite things, I was going to talk about my favorite bikes. We'll save that for last. I'm feeling in a very uh, a mood where I just want to rip on things, so let's get on to some bikes. Least favorite bikes. Again, no order. I just don't like them. So, Lotto Sudal. I don't like their jersey. And I don't like their aero bike. It's the Ridley Noah Fass. Now, I'm not going to give you a lot of details on why I don't like this bike. There's just something about it that I really don't like. They came out with this aero bike, and it looked like a very tubular, light road bike. I mean, it looked like a climbing bike. I and mean, I, I I want an aero bike to have like some nice, hard, sharp lines in it. I want it to kind of have some chunky tubes in there. I really like that look, like on Cannondale's bike, BMC's bike. Got the surveilo in there just kind of these bigger bars trek madone slr 9.0 it's kind of got this bigger down tube i like that the ridley noah fast kind of has this bending top tube to it and then i like campy components but on the ridley like i said it's got this rounded top tube kind of rounded feel to the bike with the seat stays and then you throw campy on there and again those brake levers are very rounded as opposed to like a shram that's kind of square or Shimano, especially the hydraulics. Definitely kind of a square, chunkier look. And so you throw the Campy on there, and it just gives this overall curvy, weird feeling to it. I don't feel like it looks fast. It looks like a climbing bike, which I like the look of a lot of climbing bikes. But this is an aero bike, and I don't like it. Now, Caleb Ewan did really well on it, so I can't say that it doesn't perform well. Andre Greipel did fine on it when he was racing on it last year but I don't like the look of it. So that goes into my list of bikes I didn't like. Number two, Astana Argon 18 Gallium Pro. Now, I don't like Astana's colors. I could have put them in the kit list. I was debating on it. I didn't throw them in there, so then I had to throw their bike in there. And I've never ridden an Argon 18, but I just hate the name. Like, I really hate the name Argon 18. I think it looks really bad on the down tube. I'm getting real petty. I'm really not coming up with any reasons for why I don't like this stuff. It's just that I don't like it, and it's my podcast, so I can say that. But I just don't like I think Argon 18 just is such a stupid name. I should probably do some research on like what it actually means, and I'm sure they make great bikes. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not a pro rider. I can't judge bikes like that. I'm not a bike engineer. I'm just giving a very objective or I said uh, subjective view on what I think, but I don't like the look of it, and that's so big. I think it's gross. And then you throw on that kind of like light blue teal. You know, it's not Celeste, and it's not a very nice teal paint job on there. It's just absolutely, it's disgusting. I don't like the name Argon 18. I don't like the colors in there. Their aero bike actually does look kind of good. And I like the shapes and feels of that, but their, their main bike their climbing light bike, the Gallium Pro, not a fan. And then number three, I like CCC's new team, new kit, but their giant TCR, boring. It's all black. I like all black, depending on what it is, but I feel like their black is just so boring. Like I like all black on a consumer bike. Like my bike is mainly all black, but that's because I'm not a pro and I can't have it. Blinged out with a bunch of different colors. Like I have to buy a very expensive bike, and then hope that it matches all of my kits. (laughs) Like I don't get to, I don't get to wear one kit and then like customize my bike completely to that. And they have the chance to do that, and it's just all black. It's boring. And I don't really like the giant TCR bike to begin with. I I did like it with uh, Sunweb. They had some nice added details in there, especially their time trial bike, and I like the look of their time trial bike. I think it looks really classy. It looks really nice. has some really hard sharp lines in it, but not a fan of their TCR advanced, and then especially when you go all black with it. thought it was very boring, very blah, kind of like some of the kits that I was describing before. So now what did I like? Again, no really big order here, just I did like these bikes. I think maybe... I guess this would be last on the list as the next four. Are kind of a. Uh, if I had to choose one of them, I'll give you my answer, but I would take all of them. So, number probably least on the list, and maybe a surprise to some of you, is AG2R La Mondial's Eddie Merckx's bikes. It's the uh, Eddie Merckx 525. And I really, I, I think I really like the paint job on it. It's a very simple classy elegant paint shop it's mostly black it says Eddie Merckx the down tube and some new lettering and it's got some nice touches of light blue and white it just looks very very classy now like I said I, I the giant all black was too blah for me this adds a splash of color and all of a sudden it's very classy so can't really give a ton of reason of why I like it I, I've kind of always been drawn to the Eddie Merckx brand my cat is named Eddie Merckx. My wife's first bike was an Eddie Merckx. So I have some other reasons why I'm connected to it, but I really like this bike and I'm glad to see them in the pro tour. I think they did a really good job with the, with the paint job. And I was sad to see AG2R go away from factor bikes. Cause I also liked factor and the classiness that, the, that they rode last year, but that was one of my favorite bikes. So now in no order, Team Sunweb Cervelo S5, this is blinged out, this thing looks racy, this looks fast, Cervelo has always kind of been this way, lots of color, lots of cool shapes with their bike, but I really like the handlebar on the new S5, kind of got that Y shape, and to me that just kind of makes the bike, like the bike from the handlebars down, can be you know a lot of the same elements I found in a lot of aero bikes, it looks really cool, I really like the curviness of that seat tube. But that Y handlebar really speaks to me. Really like the look of that. And then the paint job is pretty sweet. Like I said, all the stuff will be on the website, cyclingwithwatts.com. So go check that out after you get done listening to the show. Next up is oh, these next three are really tough for me. I'll give you my final answer of like the bike I would take if I got one for free, which would be absolutely amazing. But these next three, I I really like all of them. So it's not like I like one more than the other. So the BMC Time Machine. Road of dimension data. I loved when this bike came out. One of the things I loved about it the most was that they were thinking about the consumer. Most consumers don't need an arrow bike. The thing that sucks about an arrow bike is there's not a lot of storage space on it. I guess that's as true with all, all bikes, but like people are afraid to put saddlebags on an arrow bike so it doesn't look right. But yet, you need a saddlebag when you go out on rides because you got to patch tubes, you got to fix flats, you got to carry multi tools, you got to carry cash. We're not a pro, we don't have a sport car. And they put it into the bike. I thought that was really smart. Now, you can't fit a ton of stuff in that storage space, but it's right by the bottom bracket. And they also integrated the water bottles so that it was aero-optimized. Now, the pros aren't riding with that that kit thing in the bottom because they don't need it. They have a support car. That's all well and fine. But the bike overall looks super classy. I mean, it's just got such clean lines on it. Very sharp. Very classic looking. And it's just not overdone. And especially paired with their kit now that is just mm, extra classy from last year. I think this is great. I think BMC hit it on the head with this one. So I love it. I love it. Very classy. Classy all around. I think they did a great job. Now, coming up from that is the Trek Madone SLR 9 disc. And I just love the bottom tube or the down tube on this bike. It, It just draws me. The big chunky letters of Trek 2. It just looks so elegant and almost like this masterpiece of these flowing lines with this big chunky down tube. And this the seat post is kind of chunky as well, but looks aero. It looks fast. It looks like it's moving forward when it is standing still. And it just something about that down tube really draws me in. Really like it. I think they did it very simple with just this red. Bike with a big white Trek lettering. I think they they nailed it with this one. I've heard it's an amazing bike to ride, which it should be. It's twelve thousand dollars, but again, I uh, I really really like that one. And then lastly, Cannondale's EF Education First Team Edition System Six. Again, this is disrupting the Peloton with its color scheme. It's got that pink and navy blue color scheme. So I think that's one thing. I didn't love this bike. When it first came out, but it's really started to grow on me as again, it just has some really, really clean lines to it. Nothing super special about it. I just think the clean lines look really nice. And then with that paint job, with Rafa, with what EF Education is trying to do, kind of all those things wrapped into one really drew me to this bike. And it was kind of mysterious. They launched it, we didn't know what the bikes were going to look like until they launched the kit, which the bike coincided with the kit. So again, go check out all those bikes cyclingwithwatts.com and now we are going to move through some of the tech. I know we're getting close to an hour here so we're going to go kind of quick on tech here, but a lot of new tech came out which was really exciting to see. And let's start with Rafa. Not the clothes, but Rafa shoes were spotted. Now Rafa still has shoes on their website. They're out of majority of sizes. I just looked before this podcast because I would like to buy a pair of Rafa shoes when they do come back out. Currently, I ride Giro Empire shoes. Love them. Lace up. Super classy. Love the EC90 carbon soles on there. Stiff. And the Giro shoes tend to fit my shoe my feet. They're a little bit skinnier. And so I'm going to be all over these shoes if they come out because Lachlan Morton of EF Education First was wearing kind of a similar to the Giro Empire shoes. Is this lace up, white, classy looking shoe it had perforations in the sides and the upper of the shoe. Lace up, super clean, super classy. When they come out with them, I will be buying them. Also, EF Education First donned a new pink pock ventral air helmet which if you've been following POC they came out with the ventral spin which was their aero helmet last year this was an update on their well ventilated helmet and basically it looks it looks pretty similar with kind of those chunky rectangular holes throughout the helmet i really do like that look though i poc was one of the brands i hated when i first came into cycling and now i really like their stuff And so they came out with the new Ventral Air helmet, which is supposed to have more ventilation, a little bit more aero from the previous year. Pretty standard when helmet companies come out with new helmets. It's lighter, better retention system, more ventilation. Kind of the same thing, but I think it looks really nice. And it goes really well with their new kits as it's this pink helmet. And Pac is not afraid to be visible and to have colors like that. So, what did Specialized come out with? Well, they always do some kind of crazy colors, and, you know, they did this, uh, the LA Sprint, which I talked about with Peter Sagan, but they also had a prototype lightweight shoe with only one boa dial system. Now, there's really no details on this, just spy shots at this time, but it looks like this super, super lightweight, minimalistic shoe for climbers, and it was shown here in this nice, like, orange colorway. So I'm excited to see when that comes out and kind of what the stats are around it. So laser came out with a new helmet as well. It's the laser bullet 2.0. And I really had to like look at this helmet when I heard that it was a new helmet, because nothing looked different on it from the laser bullet of last year. So I really thought I was being dumb and was like, did I miss something? I was like, no, I stay on top of this stuff. Like, they didn't come out with a new helmets; nothing changed. Well, they did come out with a new helmet. There's, like, little bits of updates on there. Really nothing earth-shattering. And I actually don't like their biggest update is they now have magnetic visor that clips. It doesn't clip, but it, you know, goes up onto the helmet. And I don't like helmets that come with visors, unless it's a TT helmet, because... Sunglasses to me are so individualistic and give me a chance to put another piece of kit and creativity onto my onto my body and I can do different things with my look depending on what type of sunglasses I put on there and I just think it looks kind of dorky when you have a visor built into a helmet that's not a TT bike. I mean... Why would I care that much about saving watts when I'm not in a TT? I think it's kind of more of a marketing ploy. I think that's really been sold to us as cyclists, that we need to care about every single watt that we're putting out. For most of us, we're not racing that hard of races that matter that much, and it doesn't really matter saving that many watts. So I don't see you going out on a Sunday club ride wearing this helmet. Therefore, I don't see see its use and none of the pros were wearing this visor in the races i mean they were wearing sunglasses because it looks way cooler they're definitely going to give up one or two watts if it means looking cooler on the bike so not a fan of that one cannondale's bike has a new direct mount hanger derailleur hanger which is going to give some stiffer shifting and increases shift accuracy and this is kind of becoming more popular in the pro peloton and with bikes in general but it's this direct mount derailleur hanger that was seen here we got a couple 12 speed coming out from both campy and sharam the campy 12 speed was found on the colnago bikes of uae emirates and the shram was on trek segafredo and katusha elpasin bikes so 12 speed was tested ton of spy shots of it we haven't got like the super fine details of it yet no pricing no release dates no nothing like that but it's in the pro peloton which means it's probably going to trickle down and release in market this year so i'm excited to see what that brings us and then lastly some more shoes we have the physique r5 shoe which when this originally launched it was not something i thought we had seen the pro peloton because it was their cheaper entry-level version of Seek Shoes. I think it was like $100, $135. But the internet blew up and loved this shoe. I personally didn't like it. It didn't suit my taste. It had these Velcro straps. I thought it looked very tacky. Didn't like it. I I like it a little bit more now. I think it has some classy features to it. But there was a lot of pros, uh, specifically Movistar, that were wearing these shoes. Now, they were not wearing the production model they had the velcro strap on there but it looked like a better upper with more breathability better materials and it was carbon sold so definitely a revamp on what they released to the public so maybe we'll see this shoe come to market not out there yet but kind of in line with a couple other things with the rafa shoes the specialized shoes the physique shoes the 12 speed A lot of the stuff has not come to market yet. The POC Ventral Air Helmet has not come to market yet. Laser Bullet 2.0 I do believe is on the market, but basically everything I just talked about has not come to the market yet. So we'll be seeing that in the future because I think it's going to get tested here. See the internet's reaction, see how the pros like it, and then get rolled out later on in the year. Like I said, head on over to Cycling with Watts dot com check out all of those pictures and that is gonna wrap up the podcast for me today thank you so much for listening if you want to get to know me more go check me out on social media cycling with watts check me out on Instagram I have a big announcement coming later this month I'm waiting for something to get shipped to me before I make that announcement and then I'm going to get back on social media and do some things. I'll, I'll save that for another podcast. But I'm really excited for some things coming down the road and the future of my cycling. So go follow me on Instagram. I'm a little bit dead right now on there. I'm waiting for this announcement and uh, pick that back up. Check out cyclingwithwatts.com. Shoot me an email at cyclingwithwatts@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I want to hear from you if you have questions for me. If you have show suggestions, literally anything that you want to talk about, shoot me an email. I would love to chat with you. Otherwise, stay tuned until the next Cycling With Watts podcast. As always, that lovely orchestra music will play us out. Thanks for listening.